Hi, Breaking Barriers listeners. This is Matt Colicello in for Adam Moore. We wanted to start today's episode with a quick apology about the sound quality in some of today's episode. It is a little bit lower than we would like, but we wanted to make sure we get this episode out to all of you because it is such a good conversation. So we're sorry about that. We're working on it and enjoy. I see what Higher Ground is doing and and the story of Higher Ground and the mission of Higher Ground really being to empower all of those people and then through them, the companies they work for and the diverse entrepreneurs that they're connecting companies with, that our role is to help more quickly get them to reaching their goal. Welcome to Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground, where we talk about supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity with everyone from academics, historians, and business leaders. With your hosts, Chloe Guidry-Reed and Adam Moore, you'll hear inspiring stories and practical tips for overcoming challenges and gaining insight into supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity. Let's dive in. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground. I'm Matt Colicello, and for Adam Moore, here with my co-host, Chloe Guidry-Reed. In this very special episode, we're going to be talking about Higher Ground, the innovative minority woman-led supply chain inclusion software company that sponsors and produces this podcast. Though she doesn't often talk about it on the air, Chloe is the CEO and founder of Higher Ground. Today, you'll get a chance to hear from her about the company's bold vision for the future of supplier diversity and economic inclusion, and how all of our listeners, you, from corporate supply chain professionals to diverse entrepreneurs, can play a role in building the equitable economy of the future. We'll also be joined by members of Higher Ground staff a diverse group of disruptors whose passion for data innovation, catalytic relationship building, and supplier diversity excellence drives everything we do. So Chloe, are you ready? I am ready. And that was a mouthful. Thank you so much. (laughs) That was such a great intro. So Chloe, I wanted to start with just asking for those who don't know, who, who are listeners to the podcast, how did you come to the world of supplier diversity? Um, it's an interesting story. So I was not a supplier diversity professional, but more of a risk management consultant for large organizations and specifically worked in the supply chain vertical. So helping companies with making sure that they were understanding what their risks are, mitigating those risks, but making sure that if there were insurable risks, that we were connecting them to the right markets. And so You know, a lot of that looks at contract wording, you know, limitations of liability, warranties, and also just looking at their processes and practices around how they engage suppliers. And through those conversations, we often would talk about, you know, how do we find more diverse vendors? And it was kind of this taboo thing at first. You know, they were just kind of like whisper when other team members weren't around, like, hey, you know, we're trying to find some diverse vendors. Do you think that that's something you could help us out with? Of course, I was the only one on my team that was a woman or and a person of color. So I was always like, I mean, I, I guess I can. I was you know, right. halfway offended, but halfway excited about it because 
you know, I started just asking more questions. You know, why, why are you looking for these diverse vendors? I mean, excited about it and great. Um, but tell me a little bit more about what you're trying to achieve. And so that was my first introduction into supplier diversity. And I started just reading everything about it. And I saw it as a tremendous opportunity for economic mobility for a lot of these underserved communities. Simultaneously, yeah. when I was reviewing all these contracts of the 16 years I was doing this, I probably reviewed contracts for a handful of minority-owned vendors. So there was a huge... Out of thousands. Yeah, thousands. Thousands of, of contracts. When we look at these larger contracts that they really wanted their consultants to have their eyes on and make sure that the warning and um, the liability was completely cut and dry and that they didn't have any gaps in coverage. All of those larger contracts, there was like maybe three to five that were women-led or minority-led, which was concerning. You know, like these corporations have these goals and of all the contracts that I've reviewed, I've only seen a handful of them. There's a huge disconnect. Surely there's a solution. There's a tool that just helps them on the sourcing piece. But then I was like, okay, the sourcing piece is only one component of it. And there's the governance. And so how do we speed that up? And then also just being aware of where supplier diversity was at that time. And what I realized is that it hadn't really changed. And it was completely fragmented. And depending on where you were geographically located, your experience could be dramatically different. So I started to just think about how we could solve this because um, my undergrad degree is in economics. So it was so easy to see the economic win in gains if we were all able to participate in purchasing and procurement opportunities. So that's something I wanted to ask you about. I mean, the field of supplier diversity is, you know, in in a way there's like new life being breathed into it. And so we almost think of it as something that's new, but actually it's over half a century old. And sometimes it feels like the systems, as you said, that we have to further economic inclusion through supplier diversity are not really, they haven't kept pace with technology or cultural change or, you know, just the ways that people are thinking about economic development now in the 21st century. So how do you see it changing for the better? How would you like to change it for the better? Maybe the mission stays the same, but what can be done now to update and almost in a way, revolutionized the field. To your point, yes, it hasn't changed and it seems like it's something new. And I'm grateful for that because you're just seeing this rise of a new generation of of disruptors who are trying to figure this out through a new lens because we all grew up in the age of technology and have been using it since we came here. And so we're looking at it, I think, from a different approach. You know, we're so familiar with so many different technologies that are connecting people. You don't have to necessarily be in the same space anymore. So I think sometimes when you come at it from a different lens and the fact that we we weren't a part of the inception, I think we're able, we're not bringing some of that legacy thinking, although we appreciate it, we're bringing it from, we're attacking this from a different place and a place yes. of familiarity and utilizing tools that 
we're all using now and will continue to use in the future. I also wanted to ask about, you You, you talked about your background in risk management. Mm-hmm. And I think people still, you know, even a lot of executives still haven't made the connection necessarily between a supplier diversity or an economic inclusion policy and how that is actually a strategy for risk management. Can you just touch on that a little bit? Because I know that in your career and then in the in the solutions that you're creating, that's connected. It is very connected. I think that, you know, looking at risk when you're bringing any supplier into an organization is is paramount. And being able to do that in real time is super, super important, especially now that corporations are starting to move away from having everything in-house. They're starting to focus on what is our core competency? Let's do that really well. And let's outsource everything else. So their supply base is growing larger and larger. And since COVID, with all the supply chain disruptions, companies are now simultaneously thinking, you know, how do we have visibility into what's going on with our suppliers in real time? Because so much of what they're doing affects how we deliver value to our clients or how we deliver our products and solutions to clients. And any disruption with any link in this chain can have a domino effect on our business and our ability to service our clients and customers. So they're starting to look at that a little bit more. But from a risk mitigation perspective internally, having a broader set of suppliers that you can select from alleviates your dependency on any one particular group of suppliers. So when you talk about spreading risk, having access to a database of vetted suppliers based on criteria that you've selected only puts your organization in a better position to win and, and gives you arguably a huge competitive advantage if you can do it the right way. Right, right. So we've talked, we've talked about kind of the field of supplier diversity and how you came to it. And then this this risk management piece that's connected in your career and in the solution that you create. And I would just love for you to share more about the solution that Higher Ground creates and offers and is evolving and and how that's going to help the the future of supplier diversity that you envision come into being. So I'm always fine with answering this question, but then when I have our product and engineering team on the call, I always get nervous, right? Because ultimately I have this vision, but part of building this amazing team that we're going to hear from is letting them own that vision and figuring out exactly how that looks in practice. So I can talk really high level about what we're hoping to accomplish with our solution and what we want it to be. And then, you know, I think that we can talk a little bit more in depth. I'll let them share a little bit more about what it actually looks like in the hands of users. But, you know, when we think about the role of procurement and supply chain and supplier diversity professionals, what we sought to do was Think of all of the actions and steps that they would take in order to get a supplier onboarded. So you think about beginning to end. All right, first, 
I'm trying to find suppliers. I'm trying to source them. Part of what they do right now is very manual, pulling and going on the internet, trying to find, you know, what they can, requesting a lot of documents from a due diligence perspective, you know, to be able to properly evaluate suppliers. And that can be exhausting and time consuming. So a lot of times you see organizations and category managers just fall back on suppliers that they've historically worked with because it's just easy for them. And when you think about speed of projects and what they're doing, the fastest and easiest path is sometimes, you know, what people end up gravitating towards. So how do we look at that whole end-to-end process? How do we allow them to evaluate suppliers at a faster pace, looking at criteria that may be unique? So aggregating all these different data points and really working with our clients to understand you know, what is your risk appetite? How do you currently evaluate suppliers? What do you really care about? And how are you making these decisions today? And how do we replicate that through technology? And then if you think about from an engagement perspective, so many of these organizations have said, uh, you know, we want to try to start having deeper conversations and we want to be able to update our suppliers on what we're doing organizationally. We want to have a two-way dialogue with our suppliers and know what they're doing. We want to have a deeper relationship. So when you think of vendor relationships, management and supplier relationship management, we're trying to reimagine that. So if you can do that in a centralized tool, what would that look like, right? So it looks like managing your suppliers in a centralized repository, having documents being stored, you know, on your profile that you can just send a link to corporations and it's updated. Category managers can log onto the platform and it's not this back and forth internally around, hey, do you have their certificate of insurance? Do you have their diversity certification? But it all lives in a centralized place. And then being able to see from a risk perspective what's going on with the suppliers that you're actively engaged with. But then when you decide that you want to try to find new suppliers going into the marketplace and seeing that same logic applied across the marketplace so that you can speed up this now very manual. And we're talking about, you know, sometimes it takes six to eight months from evaluation to onboarding. You think about just operational efficiency and how much is being lost during that time period using the same criteria across the marketplace. And when we think about also just bias, if we're using this criteria that your leadership team and your risk management and vetting team has said, this is how we evaluate all suppliers across the board. If they have a score of 85%, Regardless of your bias, they meet the criteria of your organization. So they should be considered as a part of this process. So now you're evaluating, you're finding them. What's the next action that organizations need to take? Well, we want to share opportunities with them. So we have our RFI and RFP module that allows them to be really thoughtful about who sees those opportunities and who's able to respond to those opportunities. And then we've partnered with several really large Uh, data aggregators to be able to pull in a lot of raw data points coupled with the information that suppliers also provide and our clients provide so that you can have all of this information to be able to make informed decisions around what's going on. And if I want to connect a supplier 
to another supplier. I can do that if I want to connect them to category managers. But it, it's adding a level of transparency that hasn't existed in the past in terms of just being mm-hmm. able to see what's happening with the suppliers, but also being able to see the criteria by which you're being evaluated by organizations. And all of that changes from organization to organization. And it's hard for small businesses to keep up with that. So on both sides, we're adding a level of transparency that historically hasn't existed. And when you think specifically about supplier diversity teams, um, you know, there's a lot of change that's happening all the time. And when you're a non-revenue generating business unit, there's a lot more scrutiny under the ROI that you're providing to the organization. So the economic impact module that we have allows them to be able to share the story in real time around the number of jobs that they've been able to create, you know, how the companies have been able to grow and any sort of community actions that they've taken as a result of winning that contract. Because when we think about tier one and tier two spend, if you think about tier two economic impact, these organizations wouldn't be able to make that impact or create these jobs if they didn't have those contracts. So these companies being able to see that can really show the ROI around economic development in real time to all their corporate social responsibility teams and all their various shareholders. So that's end-to-end what our solution does. I know that was a long explanation, but hopefully it was clear. No, and I think I think it just, it, it is clear, and I think it, it gets us kind of perfectly teed up to talk with Trayvon and Fred to kind of look under the hood a little bit around how are we how are we doing this how how do you develop an engineer software like this so i want to jump to Trayvon McKay who is Higher Ground's vice president of product management and development he has been with Higher Ground since its inception working with Chloe to design our innovative software that advances supply chain inclusion Trayvon welcome to the show thank you for having me so so glad to have you here. Um, yeah. You are you are often just a few feet away from Chloe as she's recording, but you have never made an appearance on the podcast. Feels feels good being on the on the side to to be listened to. So. <laughs> well, welcome to the center. Welcome to the hot seat. So I wanted to ask you. This is something that I that I that I really admire about what your you and your team are doing. Um, building software that transforms an ecosystem, which is really what Higher Ground is doing, takes understanding deeply how that ecosystem works, where it's at, and then obviously where we want to bring it. Um, kind of mapping where its assets lie, where the disconnections are. How do you translate all of that, all of kind of what Chloe has talked about with our the field that we operate in? How do you translate that into software? Yeah, so it it, it really just starts with um, deeply listening to the folks that are are in this space, right, and trying to identify those pain points that are common across you know, multiple people that you're hearing from or, or that central problem. And then once you've kind of locked on to that, you know, taking that back and figuring out how to solve that with with software, right. And focusing, like being very, very focused on that one thing and then doing that well, and then going back and just restarting that listening cycle. Right. And and that's what allows us to kind of grow and become this ecosystem. It's not a matter of just jumping out, trying to do any and everything, but really just 
what's going to move the needle for these small things. And as you compound that, then you get to a point where you've, you have the platform, you have the ecosystem that's really being transformational. It's so interesting because I think like when it comes to software development, lay people like me, because I'm coming at this from the communications angle, people like me, especially in communications, think like that communications is where the the communication happens, where the listening happens and, and the storytelling happens, and the interviews happen. But what you're what you're talking about is really a cycle of development and then listening and engagement with users and potential users. That's so interesting to highlight. Um, another thing that I think that came up in Chloe's conversation and really truly I think comes up in interviews we do throughout the year that Chloe and Adam are are doing um, with guests is is that the supplier diversity world is ripe for software innovation. Can mm-hmm. you talk about how that is? What makes our ecosystem, the, the supply chain ecosystem, what makes it so ripe for software innovation? Yeah, so I think it's a combination of things, right? So when we, when we look at technology as a whole and IT with a lot of organizations, um, we're kind of in this space where there's transformation going on from how technology is rolled out. So this whole, you hear people talk about the cloud a lot. Um, yes. So there's a whole transformation happening there. And through that, that has started to um, allow people to start transforming all parts of the business because cloud just just gives you some of these different advantages uh, when it comes to building software. Um, but there's also the piece that here in the in the in the U.S. and worldwide, we've just seen some challenges with social equity as a whole, right? And now mm-hmm. it's starting to become the forefront of people's minds, and as companies are um, companies and people are trying to like correct those wrongs um, and those inequalities. You start to ask, well, how can we do this, and what do we need to do that? Um, and then, you know, COVID two years ago really just kind of poked a hole in in our supply chain ecosystem as a whole. Right? We we got right. super optimized um, system that the second one one piece of that fell apart, the whole thing just kind of crashed. So I think everyone is at this point now where we're just reevaluating how supply chain works. And because we're a technology uh, centric um, society now, it's it's always, well, how can tech uh, help with this? So, so I think those are kind of the things that are kind of driving this whole thing and, and making it right because things have been good with it. People have been focused on it. Um, but now that the right ingredients are there, um, there isn't an existing solution that covers all these things. And so now it's like, hey, what can we do to start filling in these gaps and, and addressing these things? Yeah, um, you you mentioned social and economic inequity, and um, that is so at the heart of what Higher Ground is trying to fix um, or help help enterprises and entrepreneurs fix. Can you talk a little bit just about specifically how higher ground software creates accessibility where there was where there were barriers um, to to entering the economy or to participating in the economy and and having an equitable economy? Yeah, so the way we're kind of taking the approach is really focusing on the relationship and engagement pieces um, of the software. There's there's a ton of things that we have to do. But when we've just through conversations and listening and learning, it starts with the relationship piece, right? Building that relationship. The thing for us is 
there are tools out there that manage or help with relationships and other aspects of, of, of our lives, right? We, we are familiar with social media and things like that. So us as a, as a product team, it's looking at the different parallels from business relationships, personal relationships, because at the end of the day, behind business is people. What things can we learn from and pull on to bring into our software to make the relationship and engagement experience as, as great as possible, right? And if we can start to build those relationships, make sure that suppliers and um, buyers are, are staying engaged with each other, we can layer on these other pieces that help with the decision-making process. But starting with that relationship has that strong tie um, to, you know, to the two entities that are involved. So, so that's how we're, we're taking an approach to it, trying to get out of the world of just databases with some self-service capabilities for vendors and suppliers and, and really um, yeah. a place for two-way dialogue conversation. So. Awesome. Thank you so much for bringing all of that uh, kind of under the hood perspective to, to what Higher Ground does. I also want to turn to Fred Colombo, who is Higher Ground's Director of Engineering. He leads the architecture and engineering vision along with the team of engineers who are building our software. Thank you for joining us, Fred. Thanks for having me. So I wanted to ask you about how you are maximizing the resources higher ground and its its clients um, are investing in software development to move at speed and not just move at speed with development but really move at speed towards realizing this vision and helping our clients realize this vision of building the accessible inclusive b2b ecosystem of the future how does that look how, how do you do that Sure. Um, it starts with uh, what uh, my colleague Trevon Marquet just mentioned. It starts by listening, right? You have to listen a lot to how you want to achieve your short and long-term goals. Um, technology moves at speed. Uh, we have the cloud today that gives you tremendous capability. So moving fast is one thing, but moving in the right direction, it's something that you want to ensure that you do the right way, especially when you are building uh, a diverse team. So yeah, uh, with a strong team, uh, with a strong culture, usually um, organization have a high retention rate, right? That is one thing that you want to ensure that you do with your team. So you want to retain your top performing um, employee, you want to make sure that you do that in a way that um, help accelerate your speed of delivery to your customer. And then that at the end helps you kind of keep your cost uh, very low. Uh, we all know in all different departments, uh, having to rotate um, resources at all time doesn't only cost you money, but also cost you in time of delivery. In our space, yeah. uh, with the very uh, innovating technology stack that we use, uh, we we always try to do the best we can to provide our team the tools and capability to get up to speed as fast as possible. And then that time uh, to allow our team to ramp up in a quality way can cost the business quite a bit. So uh, one of my primary role has been to focus on creating a strong culture that allow us to keep our employees happy and also create an innovative stack that attract good talent that want to 
keep working with us and remain within uh, whatever you're trying to achieve short term and long term. Yeah, I'm I'm curious about that, that culture creation piece, um, too, because I know that we're working with engineers in in multiple locations, US based, India based, and that you are also yourself uh, someone who isn't originally from the US. You've worked extensively with teams in India. You're originally from the Congo um, and came to the US as a teenager. Can you talk about kind of building that culture cross-culturally? Yeah, it's it's interesting. I think uh, our CEO, Chloe Guidry, touched on that in the beginning. It starts with relationships, right? And I think Trayvon also touched on that as well. It's very important to have good relationship, rather it's personal or business relationship with anybody you work with, and leverage that in a way that I would give you the best advantage possible. Uh, we know that multiple uh, people from different backgrounds value different things. So getting as close as possible to building those relationships and then working closely with your team members, uh, I think is very important. Making sure also they see the big picture of whatever you're trying to achieve. Uh, not every, i give an example, some people do not like social media, right? So if you're working mm-hmm. with a bunch of a group of people that do not believe or whatever you're working on, I think you're be extremely hard to build that culture. So ensuring that they see the big picture, see the big picture, and get married to that, I think uh, will pay uh, dividend uh, long term. And also getting invested in the personal and professional growth. Uh, I know it sounds very easy to do, but understanding, especially in technology, if whatever your team member are working on are things that they are very interested in seeing building their career, I think that helps really kind of getting as close as possible. But I always take a step back in my personal experience, as you mentioned, Matt, as a, as a foreigner here in the United States, uh, I got a chance to work with some great people and becoming a U.S. citizen myself. Speaking was always hard for me, right? So having English as a second language can be intimidated, especially when you're working in a fast-paced environment. So what I've done in my 17-year career working with multiple teams in Europe, in India, in Africa, I got to realize that getting as close as possible to your teammates through one-on-one helps you identify uh, the strengths and weaknesses. And then what I realized over time that you get some of the answers of people that are not necessarily uh, open to speak in open settings. And I think that allows you mm. to be able to vocalize themselves in ways that are not necessarily uh, easy for them, when we, especially when you're talking about open settings. But also another thing that I've seen being extremely successful is dedicating people that want to that are willing to help other teammates speak up and then grow within your team is also very important. When instruction usually comes from us, let's say teams here in the United States, for example, you're working with a team in India, it creates a sense of fear for a lot of the teammates. So meeting them where they are has always been something that I've tried. Uh, In the past, I remember I've dedicated one team member to be the person that actually start training people to be able to vocalize themselves. Over time, they created a sense of comfort, just like uh, Matt, you did in the beginning of this podcast, right? So some of us do not participate in podcasts, but being able to warm people in a way that makes them comfortable, I think has paid dividend over time. So those 
kind of different technique have helped create an environment where people are feeling a sense of growth. And it also, they've always seen us as a company to work with uh, long-term because we are invested not only in their professional growth, but also personal growth. You know, there's definitely a theme emerging in this conversation, which is it's all about relationships. It's mm-hmm. all about creating trusting, transparent relationships. And um, yeah, I feel like you really you really make that clear too, that that's, that's not just in terms of our field. It's not just in terms of the software solutions that we're offering the world. It's really, it begins at home, so to speak, with our own team. Um, very, very cool. Thank you so much, Fred. Absolutely. I'm going to turn now to Sam McPherson, who is Higher Ground's Director of Customer Success. He works closely with clients to understand their needs and make sure they're getting the most out of Higher Ground. Welcome to Breaking Barriers, Sam. Yep, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, so obviously, another another sort of conversation about relationships relationship driven sure yeah can you talk about the kinds of support that our customers from enterprise supply chain and supplier diversity professionals to diverse suppliers in general what do they come looking for in terms of support yeah yeah absolutely so specifically with supplier diversity professionals you know it's really twofold we're talked about kind of how the tools might be outdated but along with that some of their processes and the programs themselves may feel a bit outdated so we really try to take a really consultative approach but from two different angles right um, how can we uh, leverage the technology um, to help build your, your program onto that kind of platform and, and then also helping them to understand their program itself and how we're able to help them refine that and kind of smooth out some of the edges and help make it more efficient. So again, taking that consultative approach and, and talking uh, with them how to uh, leverage the technology and adopt that, but also kind of modernize their approach to supplier diversity and help leverage some of these new tools um, is, is certainly at the intersection of where we want to be. When we think about the clients that Higher Ground has, I feel like our clients are exceptional. And I, I feel like in a way that that's kind of like like attracts like that that our exceptionality attracts theirs. But can you can you describe more in depth from your experience working with clients? What sets Higher Ground's clients apart? Yeah, I mean, particularly for me, I've really enjoyed working with them because there is this kind of collective sense of, of urgency um, and, and, and just desire to really make these programs and processes and accessibility um, just make all of that more prevalent in, in our society. So when you get all of these people together, we're talking about how can the software help them to grow their program and what types of things would they like to see, but then also so what is your general program like? Again, I mentioned that kind of twofold approach. And so when you get those types of people all together in a room, um, you have some really magical things happening. Um, and so that's certainly what I've enjoyed most, and I know we all do, is that if they are looking to adopt the newest solution and improve those programs, then we're all of a like mindset uh, to innovate and, and create a better future for everybody. And so I, I personally really enjoy 
that aspect of, of our customers, that they want to be at the forefront of that, that they want to be part of the change. Um, and that that lifts all of us up and is, is really fantastic to work with. Yeah, digital transformation, economic transformation, organizational change creation. Um, so, so cool. I feel super gassed up now to be the one in the hot seat. And I think I'm going to hand it back over yeah. to Chloe. Yes, yes. I'm, I'm totally gassed up as well. Just hearing <laughs> about, I mean, hearing how amazing and how much thought is gone into every piece of our business. I mean, you guys are all amazing. And if I don't tell you enough, you are. And now the world knows how amazing you are. <laughs> so yes, uh, Matt is Higher Ground's Vice President of Communication. And he so eloquently tells the story of Higher Ground's mission and the work that we're doing that impacts not only everything that we do from a product perspective, sales perspective, and customer success perspective, but making sure that we're providing content for the world and bringing them along with this vision that we have for the future. He also doubles as a guest co-host on Breaking Barriers. So always appreciate you stepping in whenever is needed. So Always enjoy it. Yes, 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 yes. So much of the work that Higher Ground does is about communication and relationships, as, as we've heard, and making those connections where there was once, you know, barriers in place or there wasn't an active way to have these dialogues. Can you describe how the role that you're doing as a connector is impacting and changing what that looks like in the future. Yeah, I mean, my background has been in communications for advocacy, political advocacy, environmental, economic justice. And so I've had a lot of exposure to community organizers, Mm -hmm. Um, a group of people that make a really big difference. Sometimes it takes a lot of them doing work at the grassroots. So you don't necessarily think of an individual community organizer. Um, You think of this this collective effort to move things forward. Although um, former President Barack Obama was a community organizer early in his career. Um, Important to name that some of them do, you know, end up having extremely important roles. But when when I get to know, as I've gotten to know a lot of supplier diversity professionals and others in the world of procurement and supply chain who care about creating inclusive supply chains, I'm always struck by how much like community organizers they operate because they are with often unfortunately limited resources, working really hard within a much larger system to bring value and not just sort of organizational value, but also Mm -hmm. to bring their values to a larger organization that can put resources behind them. And ultimately it's for the good of a company, it's Mm -hmm. for the good of economies. So it's a really win-win situation but those people, they're like the community organizers who are who are seeing that vision and saying, we need to work within this larger system to make it become real. And I see what Higher Ground is doing and, and the story of Higher Ground and the mission of Higher Ground really being to empower all of those people and then through them, the companies they work for and the diverse entrepreneurs that they're connecting companies with, that our role is to help 
more quickly get them to reaching their goal. That looks like relationships and connections because instead of an individual in an organization trying to make a connection with someone over there and it's really difficult and how are they going to contact them and it takes a long time. And then once we are connected, we don't have the tools to really stay connected. That higher ground is looking at this whole ecosystem and saying, oh, we're going to be the connected tissue. We're going to be the, 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 the synapse between all of these different cells in this much larger system, and we're going to help create that energy to move forward on economic equity. So, yeah, um, that's, that's, kind of how, that's kind of how I, communication is what it's all about. And in many ways, I look at our solution really as a communication solution. Absolutely. So you talked about the community advocacy work that you've done previously, not, and you've yeah. spent your, almost your entire career in that space. Yeah. Now that you're on the supply chain and supplier diversity and inclusion space, what differences do you see in terms of the potential impact that this work uh. can have? It's so huge. It's so, so huge. Yeah, working in a field... Working in the advocacy world, you see all of these incredible people with great ideas making an impact, for sure making right. an impact. But they're having to do that with very few resources and kind mm-hmm. of attached to the philanthropic grant cycle, which has all sorts of systemic issues in and of itself. Absolutely. Because often there's no revenue generation, right? And so it just means that the resources are limited. Here and you know, coming out of 2020, when all of these, when all of these really public analyses and demands were put out, people were saying, "Don't just commit to policy change. Don't just make an announcement as a corporation that you're committed to X, Y, Z, or you're putting out a statement. Move resources. Put resources in the hands of people who have been denied resources." And what I love about our field is that companies are already spending billions and billions of dollars a year, as you said, Chloe, on suppliers, right? Mm -hmm. We have an opportunity, companies have an opportunity, and Higher Ground has an opportunity to help them to put those resources, to distribute those resources better, to identify and help to develop diverse entrepreneurs who are in turn going to enrich their communities, not through an economic policy decision, not through a one-time stimulus check, but actually through getting business to those communities through the great best and brightest of those communities who are trying to start businesses to move their own situation forward, their communities forward, And ultimately also to totally enrich the entire thought ecosystem and the entire um, economy. So um, it's such an exciting thing to be doing this change work in a place where there are these kind of resources that can be moved. And it can just make such a huge, huge difference on a much shorter time scale. So let's go now to Louisa Wilson. She is the Vice President of Operations at Higher Ground. Dividing her time between the UK and Atlanta, Louisa is focused in part on Higher Ground's expansion into new markets in the UK, the EU, and beyond. Louisa, welcome to Breaking Barriers. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So Louisa, more and more European companies are waking up to the immense value and social imperative 
of creating inclusive supply chains. How is supplier diversity different when we're talking about the UK and the EU context? So I think, first of all, it's really important to recognize that how everybody, and by everybody, I mean like people, companies, governments, how they define diversity looks really different. So if you take a step back and, you know, if you look at the US, it's absolutely the global leader in supplier diversity. As you mentioned earlier, Matt, supplier diversity is not new. It's been around for a really long time, but it's feels new, which is really exciting. Um, So despite supply diversity being born out of the civil rights movement, it's taken a long time to grow and develop and almost kind of become where it needs to be or where it wants to be. Um, Executive orders being granted and legislation being passed, creating the need for dedicated procurement teams that identify and work with diverse suppliers. It's a really inspiring space to be in. So fast forward decades of progress in the US, supplier diversity is finally going global. And the UK was the first non-US country to pass legislative action addressing business equality. Yes. Followed by, I think, France and then other European countries. But interestingly, none of these mandates are tied to government contracts. So unlike in the US, where federal contractors must track and report on diversity and meet spend goals, the EU does not have those requirements. So it's actually a really interesting take on it when you work with those companies where they're not necessarily mandated to, you know, they're not mandated to have supplier diversity programs. They you know, they're initiating these programs based on their own corporate responsibility and their, you know, their need and, you know, want to progress and address these issues. And when you work with companies like that, it's, you know, it's it's such a great space to, you know, to be in and great to, to work together. So given how different the landscape is, there is definitely no international gold standard for any of this at all. So... What I would say is that although the rest of the world is behind the US in terms of supplier diversity, the EU and the UK's focus definitely shifted towards sustainability, economic and social impact. And when it comes to that side of the coin, it feels like the US is still in the dark ages. So I Mm. say this. (laughs) (laughs) telling it like it is yeah yeah but I say this to highlight that there is absolutely no one size fits all solution for every supplier diversity initiative um right so you know each and every one must be customized to each company to each company culture and the region in which they are active so it's not only you know across the ocean between the US and the UK and EU it's really from company to company so every culture is different the vision is different and you know educating each company individually is absolutely part of the process for us and when we think of you know going from the US to the UK it's you know I love that higher ground can take the experiences using you know decades of case studies on successes failures growth that have happened in the US and 
build that out globally um, and do our part, do Harrogate's part in making supplier diversity a reality. Yeah, that's something that Mayank Shah from MSD UK talked about when he was on the show quite a bit. And for those who haven't listened to that episode, it's such a great conversation between Chloe Adam and, and Mayank Shah. Um, yeah, the, the context is so different. Um, and so that that's really interesting to hear about the kind of education that we're providing companies abroad, but that they're also providing us. It's kind of a two-way street. They're talking about their priorities in their context and their labor markets and their economies. Um, and, and we're sharing how to approach that without the one size fits all model. So super cool. Louisa, I'm curious, what is it actually like as you're kind of bridging higher ground to the European market? So I'm super excited about this and expanding globally um, into the UK and EU markets is a core focus for higher ground in, you know, in Q1 23. And it's definitely something that's close to my heart. As I've just mentioned, um, it's exciting being able to take the knowledge and experience from the US supplier diversity world and bridging that understanding and context into those new markets, um, educating international clients about how to work with US companies and government regulations on supplier diversity and reporting. And also on the flip side, bringing back the insights and best practices from the UK and the EU around ESG and being able to bridge that gap here is mm-hmm. a prospect. And I can't wait to play, to play a big part in that. Um, definitely, the, you know, the most exciting part of this for me is working with people both internally and externally that understands, you know, the mission and believe in the mission. And when you work, you know, together beside these people, um, you know, so much change can happen. And, you know, there really is no limits on what we can do. It's, you know, a really incredibly amazing place to be. Yes, indeed it is. Indeed it is. Well, thank you so much, Louisa. Thank you, Matt. That was great. Chloe, I'm going to turn it back to you to to close us out. Thank you so much, Louisa. Your insights are just amazing. And thank you so much, Matt, for bringing us all together to have this discussion. Our team's work is driven by a shared mission for creating economic inclusion by connecting enterprise buyers with diverse suppliers. Our hypothesis is that empowering supplier diversity professionals with the technology and support that they need ensures that the next generation of diverse suppliers, no matter where they are in the world, have access to resources, community, and vital opportunities for growth. It's the values embodied by the guests we've had on the podcast, the Higher Round staff. It's our solution and our expertise. If you would like to learn more about Higher Ground and how we can transform your supply chain and supplier diversity practice, please go to our website at www.higherground.io or reach out to us on LinkedIn at Chloe Reed or Higher Ground 
diverse supplier sourcing and management solutions. Thank you for listening to Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground. We are grateful for the time you spend with us in participating in these conversations. Please review and rate and share our show as we are focused on growing awareness in the supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity space. If you'd like more information, please visit us at higherground.io. That's H-I-R-E ground dot I-O. Thank you for being here and we look forward to seeing you next week.